What is up, Calvary? Good to see you. <laughs> Good to have you here with us. Good for us to have all of you that are watching with us online today. We're glad that you are part of our online campus, and uh, we're excited to be here, and we are in the midst of a series called Created for Significance. Created for Significance. And so uh, today we continue that series, and uh, we're going to wind up looking at a story that is probably familiar to most of you, but we're going to look at it maybe from a little bit different angle than what you have seen before. Um, I, I don't know about you, but something happens when we travel, especially if, if Lori and I take a trip that is significant as far as time is concerned. At some point or another, she usually grabs my phone. And uh, sometimes it's because I need something done, you know, uh, have her look up something or get a number for me or read a text for me. Usually it will take about 30 seconds to another 15 for her to do that, but she will hang on to my phone for another 15 minutes beyond, uh, probably just for entertainment's sake. But the problem is when she is done with my phone and gives it back to me, I never get my phone back the way that I gave it to her in the first place, okay? So, for instance, um, I had, uh, you know, uh, just a normal person that speaks to me when I, like, talk to Siri, okay? She thinks it's hilarious to change the voice to someone that sounds like they're an actress on the Netflix series The Crown, okay? So, you know, you have to kind of listen through uh, the dialect and that kind of thing. Um, and, and the other thing is, she will look at my music and my playlist. And she will, uh, you know, she's like, why, why do you listen to these songs? These are sad songs. These are, I'm like, no, they're not. They're classic songs. She goes, no, they're, they're it just, you know what? I'm going to help you out. So, here, let me help you out. Let me, let me show you, okay? In fact, I'm not just going to show you. I'm going to share with you what happens to my phone when it falls into the wrong hands. Hey, Siri, play for me, you're not old. Okay. Siri's broken. Hey, Siri, play, you're not old. Great. Siri's not working. Siri worked in the first service. Hey, Siri, why are you not hearing me? Anyways, I'll play it for you. It's a playlist, and it's called You're Not Old. All right? That's the name of the playlist. Ah, maybe I think I might have the problem. Hey, Siri, play I'm Not Old. Okay, now there's a couple problems with this. First of all, the fact that this song is playing says that I'm old, okay? It's the Doobie Brothers, all right? This song was written back in 1981, okay? So there's the first problem, okay? Second problem is once you start playing it, you really can't shut it off. It just, you know, you gotta, some of you are like, can you just play like a half hour of this? Uh, it goes from this to like, you know, Journey and Kansas and Boston. And uh, so, I, I mean, it's just, yeah, you'd like that, Jay. Uh, the problem is every one of the songs just screams, you're old. 
That's what it says, okay? That's problem number one. Problem number two is this. Daylight as she rises to her apology. Anyways, the other problem you have is this. If you listen to the music, and some of you, you've been listening to it for a long time, okay? Have you ever listened to the song, and as you're listening to it, you know, finally you like stop singing along, and you realize, I've been singing the wrong words for 30 years, okay? That's not what that song is saying. And all of a sudden you realize the word, like on this song right here, you know, he never made her day right. That's what I've been singing all my life. That's not the words of the song. I'm like, wait a second. I've been singing it wrong in people's cars for this long? Unreal. And then you realize I've had it all wrong. The story that we're going to look at today. The story that we're going to look at today actually is a story that many of you are familiar with. But what if I told you that it is possible for you to have heard this story since you were just a little boy or a little girl, but yet be looking at it completely wrong? You might look at this when we're done and say, man, I think I got some of the lyrics Mixed up. There is something else in this story for me. Something else that needs to be said. And we're going to try to pull it apart today. And this is a story that a lot of people outside the church are familiar with too. Uh, you know, in our culture, especially in, in our country, a lot of people who might not come to church know Jesus. They know something about it. For instance, you know, if you say, what does Genesis mean to you? a pretty high percentage of people are going to say it's, it's in the Bible. It's the first book of the Bible. Now, yes, you're going to have some people that say it's a group that Phil Collins started. But most of the people are going to be, yeah, that's the beginning of the Bible. What's Revelation? Oh, yeah, that talks about the end of the world. Christmas, Easter, this is one of those stories. People may not have even ever cracked open a Bible, but they know this story. When you say the prodigal son. Most people know what you're talking about. They've heard some semblance of this story, and actually many other religions have borrowed, copied, used parts of this parable that Jesus gives called the prodigal son. But I'm going to tell you, that I think it's possible that some of you, like me, have looked at this story somewhat incorrectly. And so I want to talk to you about it today. And, and the first thing we, I guess we need to do is, is understand what prodigal means, right? I mean, when I think of the word prodigal, and of course the prodigal son, I'm thinking lost, you know, wayward. That's what prodigal means, wanderer maybe. But actually, the word prodigal, you ready for this? It means recklessly wasteful, extravagant. That's what prodigal means. Recklessly wasteful, extravagant. This is the story oftentimes that we look at as a son who was recklessly wasteful, squandering extravagantly the inheritance he got from his father. But 
we need to dig a little deeper into what Jesus was actually saying before we can truly come to grips with what's going on in this passage. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. I'm not going to read for you the whole story. We're actually going to start at the beginning of the story and just kind of take it scene by scene. If you are online with us, simply hit that tab that says Bible, and you can go to the New Testament and hit Luke, and then hit 15, and it will take you right to where we are. We're going to start in verse 11, and here's, here's the deal. You need to understand something. Jesus is, is sharing here a message, and he's already given two stories, two parables. The first one was about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and lost one. The second one is about a woman who had ten coins and lost one. The key in both of these stories is the shepherd who went to find the lost sheep and the woman who tore everything upside down to find that lost coin. She only had ten, and so the one had great value to her. And the story that Jesus tells, he tells it of a shepherd and a, a woman. Now we get to the the last story, and, and by some, they would say the most important story. And Jesus is going to wrap it up with here, and yet when we get to the story, we often talk about the lost son. But notice how Jesus begins this parable. Verse 11 says, there was a man who had two sons. There was a man who had two sons. Now, I hate to give you an English lesson, but Who's the subject in that sentence? The man. The father is the subject. Just like the shepherd who lost a sheep and the woman who lost a coin, here is a father who loses one of his sons. The subject matter of the story is the father. The prodigal father, catch this now, who was recklessly extravagant, recklessly wasteful with his love for his sons. It's one of the greatest parables because here's the deal. When you truly understand what this story says, you have a greater understanding of your heavenly father. You have a greater understanding of God. We key in on the son, but instead, we need today to key in on the father. You want to know how God feels about you? You want to know how much God loves you? Look at this story. There are four scenes in this story, okay? And forgive me, but since I was listening to the Doobie Brothers, I couldn't help but relate these scenes to old television programs that I used to watch on one of, well, three stations. Um, isn't it amazing that today you can have now 300 stations and you're like, there's nothing to watch. <clears throat> we used to have three, plus, you know, if you had a little thing, you could go UHF and try to bring in channel 50 or 56 or 62. Boring. But 
Here's my understanding, all right? Here's, here's, I, I had to put myself in the story, and I want you to do the same. Whether you're here with us on our campus or whether you're watching with us online, I would encourage you somehow, someway, put yourself in this story. This is the way it was easiest for me. First scene is the homestead, okay? This is the Ponderosa, okay? Okay, you kind of, whatever it takes. Just imagine, you know, Ben Cartwright there, and here comes all of his sons, you know, little Joe, and they've all got their cowboy hats on. This is the homestead. Scene two, scene two is the faraway land, okay? This is Fantasy Island, okay? Do you remember that program? I used to have to sneak that one in. My mother wouldn't let me watch it. But Fantasy Island, the plane, the plane. And this plane would come in, and everybody is looking to live out their fantasy. If I can just live this way, I will be happy and fulfilled. And every time, every week, every scenario, what happens? They get to Fantasy Island and realize it's not all that it's cracked up to be. That's the faraway land in this story. The next one is the reunion, okay? The reunion. Think the Waltons homecoming. Right, John Boy. John Boy will make it through the snow to Thanksgiving. Okay, the reunion. That's what happens in the third scene. And the fourth scene is the other son, okay? Ready? Dallas. Okay, J.R. Ewing. Okay, just, just think that. Uh, that's, that's scene four. But these are the four scenes we've got, so let's kick into gear because I want to roll through this. And, and here's what you need to understand. Jesus is speaking to an incredibly diverse group of people. Luke, in fact, describes it. In the front row, you've got some tax collectors. They get their own category. Isn't that interesting? You've got some prostitutes. Oh, wow. And other sinners. They're in the front, Okay? The people in the back, well, they're the most religious. They're the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They would never associate with the people in the front. And then you have everyone in between. And Jesus is sharing a message here where he's trying to get to all of those groups. And being Jesus, he's able to do it. And he shares a message that hits everyone. And I believe it hits all of us today as well. So here's where it starts. Verse 12. The younger one, the younger son, said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Father, give me my share of the estate. So dad divides the property. Divides what he has coming to him. First glance, you might think, cool dad. Or first glance, you might think, way too easy. Easy take. But there is much more to it when you understand the context from which Jesus is speaking, the culture in which Jesus is in, and the group of people that he's speaking to. First of all, Jesus is in what part of the world when he's talking to this group of people? The Middle East, right? It's a Middle Eastern culture. No one listening to him can imagine asking that of their father. As soon as he starts this story, a young son went and said, hey, dad, I want what's coming to me. Nobody in that group says, oh, yeah, that was me. Nope. No one dared to do that. Why? Because in essence, when you did that, you were saying, dad, I wish you were dead. But since you're not, 
Let me have what I get when you do finally keel over. That's what he was saying. And so the people in that culture are thinking to themselves, what is he doing? There's a Middle Eastern writer by the name of Ibrahim Said, and this is what he says. The shepherd in his search for the sheep or the woman in her search for the coin do not do anything out of the ordinary beyond what anyone in their place would do. But the actions the father takes in the third story are unique, marvelous, divine actions that have not been done by any father in the past. No one can relate to the story because they never would have done that to their father and all they can think is, what an idiot. How much shame is he bringing upon his family and his father? Verse 13 says, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country. Now there's one thing that maybe you and I, thinking we know the story of the prodigal son, we, don't, we just kind of gloss right through that, right? We're thinking he said, hey, give me what's mine. The dad wrote him out a check and off he went. No, especially in the culture and the context of where he is, what's going on. The father has to divide his estate, right? Most of what he has is property, homestead. Most of what he has is found in, you know, the, the family belongings, herds. So he has to divide this. Well, what's the guy going to do with this? Take it with him? No. He has to sell all of this stuff so he can get some cold hard cash and get out of town and get on with the life that he thinks is going to be so much better. Well, guess what? He doesn't have Greg where he can say, hey, can you put this up for sale for me? All right, there's no real estate agent. He's not going to call Doug up and say, hey, can you? Nope, not happening. So what's he have to do? And they understand this. He has to go to the village and door by door, hey, I've got these jewels. I've got this farm. I've got this land. I've got these herds. He has to sell this stuff. That's why it says not long after. This takes a little bit of time. Can you imagine the emotion around the family dinner table? Can you imagine where the space is now empty because he's like, I am not wanted there, I am not needed? Can you imagine every time he goes to a door, they know. And with every door that he knocks on, the disdain for him rises just a little bit. And he realizes, you know what, I got to get rid of this stuff and get out of here. So he sells it. Does he have a decent sum when he's all done? Yeah. Does he have what it's worth? Not at all. Not at all. Because he knows every person in that town is talking about him. Every person in that village really can't stand him, cannot believe what he is doing to his father and his family. And so he sells it for bottom dollar price and he takes off. He takes off. The younger son got it all together and set off for a distant country. And that takes us to scene two. The faraway country, Fantasy Island, right? 
I mean, here he goes. He is, man, now he is going to live. I am going to live, baby. Oh, man, this is going to be fun. And, you know, he can eat where he wants and grab a steak if he wants at the best restaurants and hit the nightclubs and the scene. He is it because he's got some muns. He is doing well, then it says the younger son got together what he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, wouldn't you know it, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. He squandered his wealth he squandered everything that it has taken his father a lifetime to achieve. He spent it all in a good time. Wild living. He wasted it. He has some friends, but let's be honest. They're his friends because he's paying for dinner. He's paying for drinks. He's attractive to probably a lot of women because he's got some money. He looks the part. Uh, Lori and I have been catching, especially you know, in this past year, uh, we, we've watched a lot of documentaries, it seems like. Uh, and, and we found some of those on Netflix and some of the other stations. Uh, we especially like the ones that are about musicians. You know, Still haven't found one of the Doobie Brothers, but I'm looking. Um, but uh, we've, we've been watching these documentaries on musicians and sometimes uh, sports athletes, you know, heroes, that kind of thing. And what is amazing is how many of them attract as they move up the mountain. But as soon as something wrong happens, as soon as it begins to go south, how many of those friends are nowhere to be found? You know, it's kind of amazing. The uh, NFL draft has been on the past uh, few days, and I yeah, I know some of you might be like football junkies and you were like glued to your television set. Uh, I would catch it every once in a while. I tried to predict when, you know, the Lions were picking and I would try to hit it and, and see if I could find out who they took and what's going on. I'd check it out once in a while. One time when I turned it there, Steve Harvey was on, okay? And he's on the set of Family Feud. I'm like, what in the world? So I stopped and listened. And he was talking to all of the young men who had been just drafted by NFL teams. And he was kind of giving them a pep talk, a motivational speech. And as he's talking to them, he said, let me tell you something, some of you need to lose some of the friends that you have. Because you're going to find out they're only your friends because of what you can give them. Wow! That'll preach. That'll preach. That's what this young man finds out. Oh, he's got some friends, but they're friends while he's on the way up. And as soon as life begins to go south, he begins to lose his friends. And pretty soon, the reputation that he had in the village seemingly has followed him to Fantasy Island. He is the same there as he was here. And, and, and here's a lesson. Sometimes we believe that we can change our lives 
if we just would move. If I can change houses, if I can change cities, if I could get out of this state, if I could change jobs, if I could change careers. And the problem is, well, the problem is the problems because they seem to follow us, don't they? Why? Here's the bottom line. Because wherever you go, that's where you are. Let me say that to you again. Wherever you go, that's where you are. You're not supposed to use names in a message, okay? And especially if you're like talking to people online. But, but let me just do it here in the auditorium so you kind of get an understanding of what I'm talking about. If I have a problem with Alan, and I have a problem with Vince, and I have a, a problem with, with Max, and I have a problem with Doug, and, and I have a problem with Emily, and I have a problem with Debbie, okay? I have a problem with them. Why? Be well, because Alan is a problem, and Vince is a problem, and Max is an even bigger problem, and Doug, well, there's really no definition of what kind of problem that is. And Emily, well, I never. And Debbie, don't even go there. What's going on? The problem is there is a common denominator in all of those problems. It's me. And if you kind of look at your life and realize you got a problem with this person and that person and this person and that person and this, what's going on? Maybe, maybe the problem is more you than it is them. And, and it doesn't matter where we go, problem's still going to be there. What's going on in this guy's life? What's going on is this. He was selfish at home. He's selfish in a faraway land. Nothing's changed. And people read right through that. And so now, basically, his friends are falling off. Why? Because he's losing all his stuff. He's not nearly as good looking anymore to the women. And the guys he was hanging out with all of a sudden don't want to hang out if he's not going to be buying them dinner anymore. It's interesting, in, again, in the context of where Jesus is and how he is speaking and what he's sharing in the Middle East there is a way that they take care of people who are hangers-on, okay? And rather than just coming right out and saying, you know, why don't you move along? <laughs> they don't want to be rude. So instead, they will offer them a job that they know they'll refuse. That's what happens with this guy. He gets to the point where I, I got to get some work. I got to get a job. And... Everybody kind of is like, you know what, it'd probably be just best if he moved on. I'll tell you what, I know what to offer him. And a guy offers him a job working with his pigs. Why? Because they know any good Hebrew boy is not going to accept that job. The Mosaic law says pigs are an unclean animal, don't have anything to do with them. There's no way he'll take this job, but he is so desperate he does. Why? Why? Because he can't go home. He 
can't go home. The problem is the job doesn't pay well. And pretty soon he finds himself so destitute and so hungry in the midst of the famine that what the pigs are eating is better than what he has. He's in a mess. And his thoughts, and you can understand this, can't you? His thoughts begin to turn towards home. But there's a problem. The problem is he cannot go back to his father as a son. He's already basically said, I wish he was dead, taken what he had coming as a son. There's no way to go back. But, but wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Dad's got a merciful side. And if I can hit him on the right day, if I can hit him on the right day, if, 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 maybe if I'm coming, like if, if I come home on a Friday, just before the weekend or if I get to him on the right day, at the right time, maybe, he, maybe I can just say, hey, what about if I became one of your servants? I'll just serve, I'll stay in the servants' quarters, because the other thing is he knows that if he goes back, again, culture, context, he has nothing to offer his dad. That was unheard of in that day and age. But maybe if I go back and I become a servant, I can somehow save up enough to where he will think I'm worth something. But then he says, problem number two. I gotta get through the village before I can get home. And I just barely made it out of there the last time. The people who knew him when he was born watched him grow up, gave him a check for his open house. (laughs) And then he turned his back on them. Even some of them that he called friends, he hadn't communicated with them because he was on to bigger and better and now he'd have to face them. But He's desperate. It has to be done. So now we get to the reunion. Verse 20 says, so he got up and went to his father. In this scene, the son returns. But this, this is where the father, the subject of the story, comes in. Again, we want to put a lot of emphasis on the son. And that's good. That's fine. It's an incredible part of the story. But this is where the father steps in. And again, context and culture says so much about this father when the son returns. Here's the father. He's got some experience. So he knows a couple of things. Number one, he knows at some point my son is going to come back here. He knows the frame of mind he was in when he left. He knows that he's going to get messed up. He knows he's going to waste everything. He knows he's going to come back. The second thing is he knows he's going to have to come back through that village, and he's not going to be coming back all dressed up as a successful businessman. He's going to be coming back (laughs) pretty frail, pretty beat up, 
He knows this. So he is constantly looking and longing for word that that might be happening. He knows he's going to have to go through the village, and that's the other reason why he's looking, and that's the reason why he does what he does. There are five things that the father does when the son begins his journey home. Here's the first one. He runs. He runs. You're like, yeah, that's no big deal. Seriously? Imagine your dad running. Right? That's the first thing. But the second thing, again, Look at it from a context and cultural perspective. Verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son. When he sees his son approaching, when he sees his son coming, when he gets words that he's on the outskirts of town, he runs to the son. Why? He's not going to allow him to walk through that gauntlet of the village by himself. He runs. Wealthy men in Jesus' day didn't run anywhere. You had servants to do that. But this man, he's going to have to hike up, right? His robes. He's got long, flowing robes. He's going to have to hike those up and run. Didn't happen. Aristotle said, great men never run in public. (laughs) There's a cultural thing here happening. But this wealthy father runs to his son. The son has to be thinking he's about to endure the worst moments of his life, but then he looks up and sees his father running towards him. The villagers must be stunned by what they are viewing. But, but there's a second thing he does. It says that he kisses his son. Verse 21, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Can you see this? I mean, are you, are, are you watching this? You're in the village. You've stepped out onto the deck of your condo, and you're like, what? I mean, first of all, you see the young man coming, and he's barely recognizable. He doesn't look anything like the haughty confident man that left this village a while ago. No, he is down in the dumps, beaten, disheveled, dirty, barely recognizable. But all of a sudden you see this wealthy landowner, this father running towards his son, and then he embraces him and he kisses him. The son thought about this all the way home. As soon as I see him, I will kiss his hand and then I will drop to my knees and begin to kiss his feet and plead for his forgiveness. The Greek word says though here that he is continually kissing him, okay? So imagine, again, put yourself in the position. The father runs, embraces his son, probably tears streaming down his face, and he begins to kiss him. And then every once in a while, he'd probably hold him out at shoulder's length and see him, and then take him back in and hug him and kiss him. The son can't get it out. The son can't get to his knees. He simply has to, ready for it, accept the father's love. That's all he can do. Accept the Father's love. He has a speech ready. Verse 19 says, 
Make me like one of your hired men. But what actually comes out doesn't include that phrase. The father just keeps embracing him and kissing him. And he keeps repenting and reciting the fact that he is not worthy to be a son. But all he can do is accept his father's love. Number three, he calls for a robe. Verse 22 says, but the father said to his servants, who huffing and puffing had finally joined in, right? He says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. All right, I need a little interaction here. Who at the Ponderosa has the best robe? Well, thank you. Who has the best robe on this homestead? The Father. Yeah, it's not like, hey, go to his closet and get something. No, he cleared that out. So he says, go and get the best robe, the best robe that I have, the one that I special occasions. Get that and bring it and put it around the shoulders of my son. Clothe him in my robe. Do you realize that our Heavenly Father looks down at his kids and he says, hey, get the robe of righteousness that my son paid for him put it on him. I don't want him walking through the streets looking like this. Get the best robe. Get the best robe and put it on him. Then he calls for a ring. Verse 22, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. He's barefoot. (laughs) He doesn't even have any shoes to his name. That's okay with him. Servants go barefoot. Sons wear sandals. And the father says, get his sandals, put them on his feet, and bring the ring. There's more than just jewels that signify this ring. What this ring says is, you are in my family. This is the family ring, the family gestures. It carries the rights and privileges of the father. It means that he is not going to even have to do a thing to earn back being part of the family. Go get a ring. Put it on his finger. (laughs) But to as many as receive him, To them, John would say in chapter 1, verse 12, he gives the rights and the privileges to be called children of God. To them, he gives the power to become the children of God. To them, he says, put the ring on. Put the ring on. And then, Last thing he does is he says, prepare the fatted calf. Why? Why why get a fat cow? I mean, why not just, you know, we are going to have a family dinner tonight. Take a sheep. Take a goat. I mean, you know, let's, let's have a nice cookout. But he says, get the fatted calf. Why? Because he's going to have a party and he wants the whole village to come and be part of it. 
He says, I'm inviting you all to be part of my son's reinstatement. We're gonna have a party. It's gonna be a good time. And the reason you're gonna have a good time is this guy right here. Fix the fatted calf and let's have a party. The father is demonstrating his love publicly and at times in a humiliating fashion to show how much the son means to him. Our path to significance begins when we realize that on our own we will never be as significant as we could be if we stay with the Father. Is it any wonder why Jesus is sharing this story last? You see what he's doing? He is communicating to every person who ever wanted to take a step towards God that once you do, God begins moving in your direction. He is showing all of the people that he is talking to just how significant they are. Some of those people in the front row can relate entirely to the story of the young son. But it's not about the son. It's about the father. And the father running towards the son. He doesn't let us bear the shame of living life like we wished he was dead. He bears it for us. He kisses us. He embraces us. He puts his robe of righteousness on us. He gives us his rights and power and privilege of being part of God's family. And he invites others to celebrate. Answer me this. Is the young son guilty? Yeah. Yeah. Was he a dork? Yeah. Yeah, he sure was. Is he condemned? No. No. And we've all learned and love, and for good reason, John 3.16. But truthfully, John 3.17 is just as important because it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Listen, you're guilty because you've sinned. And the problem is we want to look at all of the younger brothers, the younger sisters, the ones who have messed up big time and left it out all for everyone to see. And we want to somehow self-righteously point our finger. And the truth is we are guilty because we've sinned but we are not condemned because Jesus took on himself our guilt. Listen, when you 
become a Jesus follower, catch this now, when you become a Jesus follower, you forfeit the right to condemn yourself like the younger son. Why? Because you have been purchased with a price. You've been purchased from a price. However, catch this now, when you become a Jesus follower, you forfeit the right to condemn others. Because you now see them as Jesus does. And Jesus said, I didn't come here to condemn. I came to save. There's one more scenario that Jesus shares, and that's the other brother, right? The other brother. Bobby Ewing has come home, and they're having a party, and J.R. is ticked. He is dorked. He is miffed. He is peeved. When he finds out what, what's all the commotion up at home, your younger brother, he's come home and we're having a party. Your dad's throwing a party. And so the older brother runs back home, just can hardly contain himself, tears streaming down his face. He's laughing because he's young and he embraces. <laughs> no. No, what happens? Older brother gets angry. He gets angry. So angry that, oh, and, and here, here is Christendom, 20th and 21st century, right? I will prove a point. I am not going to the party. I'll show them. I just won't show up. <laughs> Have a party for that philanderer. Why I oughta. I'm not going. So what happens? The father, catch this now, it's in there. He leaves the party to go find the older son. And can I tell you something? The older son has just humiliated the father just as much as the younger son did when he left home. The older son should have been at the door with the younger brother welcoming people in. The older son, should, why, why, why? Because way back at the beginning, right? Verse 11, a father had two sons. And then what does it say? The younger son said, I want what's coming to me. So he divided his property between them. Older son got just as much as younger son. Truth is, older son got more. Why? Because he was still living off of dad's dime. Dad was still paying for his meals. <laughs> you know, when I think of how, <laughs> when I think of how much money my father spent buying me meals, <laughs> I mean, man, alive. It was just, it was almost, for the, for, for the most part, for me and my brother, when we went out, it, it wasn't even like, we didn't even think about it. He had just, that's the way we'd been raised. 
So I'm sure that the last time we went out, before he left this earth, he paid for dinner. <laughs> oh my goodness. He taught me a terrible lesson. Because now my kids do the same exact thing. <clears throat> Older brother, he's, he's living off of dad's dime. In fact, everything dad has, it's now his. But what does he say? Listen to what he says. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Does he consider himself a son? No. He's a slave. Does he consider himself an heir? No. He can't even have a goat. But yet verse 12 says the father gave it to both of them. Everything there is now his. But he is not living in what he's been given. Oh, I like that. I didn't say it in the first service. That's a freebie. He is not living in what he's been given. Somebody needs to write that down. You and I, believers in Christ, we ain't living in what we've been given. Instead, somehow, somehow, oh, I gotta be careful. I need to just, I need to say it calmly. Somehow, We've somehow gotten the attitude that, you know what, if we just get angry about everything, we'll win the world to Jesus. Everybody will just look and say, oh, there, I want to be angry like that out in the field. They're not even coming into the party, so I want to go there. No. We are not living in what we've been given. And what does the Father say? He says, first of all, he says, son, son. Son, I try not to talk about him too much because my wife will tell me every once in a while, all right, you've said enough about your dad for a little while. So I try not to mention it every stinking Sunday, but man, I can't tell you how much I would give to have the phone ring and hear him say, hey, son. He would sometimes call me my pastor. I used to get so mad at that. Don't call me your pastor. Why? You are. I'm like, great. I'm your son. And the father, can you imagine him talking to his older boy who he's given everything to? He says, son, everything I have is yours. Ah. <laughs> oh. Do you see the two groups of people that he's talking to? Jesus is like, I'm going to get you all with this one. Because you're either the younger son and you've kind of wandered off and wasted, but guess what? The father's still looking for you. And as soon as you take one step, he'll begin running right towards you. But at the same time, there are some of you, you've been part of the church for a long time, but you are standing out in a field just looking for stuff that you can get angry about. Maybe that is why Jesus said, you've got to learn to love. That's the only way, guys, that you're going to change the world is when they see how you love. 
He says, son, everything I have is yours. Now, here's the interesting part, and we're done. We're done. We've got to get out of here. Jesus just leaves it right there. He just drops in that nugget. Son, everything I have is yours. Your younger brother was dead. But now he's alive. And Jesus just drops it. You're like, wait a second. When does the next season start? I want to know if the son goes to the party. What happens? You know, is there conflict? Do the wives get after each other after a couple years? You know, what is going on? No, Jesus just kind of drops it right there. Why? Because he knows everybody has to make their own decision. You got to make your own call. So what are you going to do? Are you going to head back home? Are you going to realize that (laughs) there's no place like being in the Father's love? Maybe you're living without realizing what you've been given. You need to stop standing out in the field with your arms folded. Come in and join the work that God has for you. You see, the problem is the more judgmental we are, the less aware we are of our own sin. If I can just find something that I can concentrate on and say, this world is going to hell in a handbasket and these people are leading the way, I can concentrate so much on them that I don't have any problems. You want to know what I am? I'm the older brother standing out in the field refusing to come into the party. And nobody is going to come home to the Father because of that attitude. And the thing is, those who realize they're sinners, realize they're guilty, (laughs) and have come back to the Father with eyes wide open, they realize they, they can never condemn anyone else because they know what a hypocrite that would make them. You and I are perfectly positioned to love and to forgive. Why? Because we are loved and we've been forgiven. Bow your heads together with me in prayer. Father, this is one incredible story. And and I think probably most of the people who are hearing me today, whether they're here with us or watching online, they have some semblance of understanding of this story. We've heard it in a song, in a message, in a series, in a talk. We've even seen it sometimes seemingly portrayed in in books or movies. But Lord, I, I think sometimes we're missing the point. This isn't about a prodigal son who wasted recklessly and extravagantly all that he was given. No, this is about a 
prodigal father who wasted recklessly and extravagantly his love on his sons and nothing was going to stop that. So may we, Lord, understand in a new way, in a fresh way, that this story relates your unconditional, unwavering, everlasting love for each of us. And Lord, there may be some who when they look at their lives, they're like the younger son. And they have wandered off. And they need to, maybe even for the first time, come to you. Knowing that when they take that first step, well, you have already reached out from heaven and sent your son to die on their behalf. And all they have to do is accept your gift of salvation. Lord, there's another group, though, that maybe finds themselves kind of out in the field, arms folded, refusing to join the party because, uh, I don't know, we're just angry at everything. And with good reason. But, Lord, help us to realize we are missing out on living the life that you have for us. You even said that when somebody comes to know you, there's a party going on in heaven. (laughs) Help us to have that same kind of joy as we endeavor to reach out in love to people that no doubt desperately need you. And before I close this prayer, maybe you're here today and there's never been a moment when you've said yes to Christ. I want to give you that chance. Whether you're here with us at our campus, watching with us online, if you want to know today that Christ lives in you, if you want to know the Father's forgiveness, he sent his son all the way to earth, running towards you. He just needs you to take a step in his direction. And you can do that. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart God has raised him from the dead, we can be saved. If you want that, then I simply want you to pray this prayer in your heart after me. You don't need to say it out loud. He'll hear you. Just say, Lord Jesus. Be merciful to me because I'm a sinner. And save me. With our heads still bowed in prayer, if you pray that prayer this morning, would you just slip up your hand? Just slip it up and put it down. Say, yeah, that's me today, Billy. I prayed that prayer. I invited Christ to come into my life. If you're with us online, there's a tab that came up on your computer that says, today I accepted Christ. Just hit that tab. We're not even going to know your name right now, but God knows, and he knows your heart. And we'll know that you made that decision. And before the day is over, we'll be praying for you. Hit that tab. Let us know that today you accepted Christ. Father, thank you for meeting with us here for your promised presence with those who know you as we go. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.